0: Episode 228 of the Bevan James O Show, how to thrive with exercise. here team, welcome along to episode 228 of the Bevan James, I'll show you a fortnightly podcast on the behaviours that create a lifetime love of fitness, so you can get all the benefits that come alongside it. It's a Bevan show this week, it's a show where I just talk about something I want to talk about, there are no guests, there's no superstar person who's bringing stuff in, it's just good old Bev having a bit of a chat to you about something that's been, I've been thinking about. And today's show I'm actually going to be using, I've, I've probably talked a little bit about this framework. On the show, but I want to go a little bit deeper into the framework. And when I wrote my book, which is looks like it's coming out in June, looks like it's because printing apparently in this world we're living right now. It's a little bit of an issue. So the print print's probably gonna take till June. So about June, we're gonna see this book come out. But in the book, I came up with a concept which I think is not really a big concept I go deeply into in the book. So I thought actually it's probably cool to do a bit of a podcast on that. So it's basically how to thrive with exercise. And this isn't just you know how to exercise or find the basic routine. This is this is that kind of get to that place where you absolutely just love. Exercise. So, just how to thrive with exercise? Uh, Yeah, I'm not going to spend a lot of time talking about other stuff. You know, the only thing you know what the only thing I want to say is make sure you've got silly fun in your life. This is this is the bit before the main just of the show. Um, If you're in New Zealand or Australia or maybe I don't know if it's on Netflix and other places in the world, but Netflix recently they've had this brilliant documentary uh, called. For uh, old people's home for four-year-olds, I think it's something like that. And what they do in this documentary is in Australia, I think in some of the Scandinavian countries, what they do is rest homes have a component where childcare is a part of it as well. So literally, you have like you know four, you know three to five-year-olds, maybe maybe four or five years, four or five. I can't remember exact age. Living with people or going to preschool, but the preschool involves elderly people who are in rest homes, and it seems to be quite a successful way of doing things in these Scandinavian countries. And so this documentary is based in Australia where they want to do a trial to see if it's beneficial for both the children and the elderly people in the rest homes to see if this interaction could be good for both now it turns out to be overwhelmingly successful not not just for elderly people like it's massive for the elderly people uh, it's actually quite scary when you looked at some of the things they talked about like i, I don't i can't remember the exact figures but something like 40 percent of people in rest homes in australia never get a visitor a lot of them end up just sitting in their rooms all day long. So it becomes this very lonely, non-active, and very isolating experience. And so a lot of them are very physically limited, uh, have depression or mild levels of depression, and so on. And what happens in this series is, by the end of it, pretty much all the elderly people, there was one guy who didn't make massive gains, but he had an operation, so he kind of really didn't participate. And you get the feeling that, if he was a part of it, he would have got a lot more gains out of it. But all of them, their mobility increased massively. Um, their, you know, their psycho, like you know, their mental health improved massively. Just the, the gains were massive. But also, it was very valuable for the children as well. And it was great. It was like I highly recommend you. It brings tears to your eyes, and it just it's one of those documentaries which is it's it's trying to point a spotlight on a big problem of uh, how do we. Involve elderly people and make that last part of their life still really physically and mentally healthy. Um, but it's also one of those one of those documentaries that, as you're watching it, it just reinforces some of the basics of life, like you know, being with people is a really important thing, maintaining movement, challenging yourself. Like one of the beautiful things about the documentary is these children don't care if old people don't want to do things, and there's this one. Basically, what happens is is there's this each child kind of attaches to one of the elderly people and there's this one guy who when he started he he, he was waiting for death you know he, he was cynical he was depressed he you know didn't really see the point um and there's this kid and his name was eric i can't remember the kid's name but the kid was always saying come on eric come on and the, you know the kid would get him up going for walks and get him playing in games and by the end of this guy's life had transformed and this is you know this is the thing about the show, it reinforced many of the good things we know we should be doing in our everyday life. And that's, you know, was really valuable. But one of the things that was really reinforced, which is really important for all of us to remember, is to have silly fun. And they actually looked at, because in the show, what they were doing is they were kind of showing you these things that they're doing and and psychologists were kind of coming on and talking about the benefit of different things and one day they, they got all the kids to bring dress up outfits and all the older people had to get dressed up and at first some of them were pretty resistant but by the end of it the laughter in the room was just health like the laughter was health and it just really reinforced that having silly fun is actually an aspect of a healthy human life. And there's two examples I want to share around this from my own experience right now. So one thing is is me as a fitness instructor. Now, as a fitness instructor, I think if you were to ask people what are my strengths, I'd say he's good with people. I've always loved being with people. Um, he, He could take me to a place I can't get to by myself. Like I know how to push people and get them to a place where you know, they possibly couldn't get to by themselves. So I, I have the ability to bring the best out of the physical workout and other people. But also, it's it's there's a bit of a stupid energy to it. There's a stupid, fun energy to it. And as much as I can take people to those other places and I make people feel special that they're part of my environment – To me, one of my biggest valuable parts of what I do is that ability just to make people have stupid laughs. Like I get, I've people say to me, you get me to do things in your classes that I would never, ever do by myself. And that's because I just create this environment where we're going to have a laugh, we are going to be stupid, and it's actually a bit of part of the experience. So that's one thing with the environment I create. But a, a better example of that is... Um, obviously, I've been talking recently about how my my wife Joe, who sh- her father's been sick, and unfortunately in the last few weeks we lost her father, and it's it's it's, it's I've got to be it's horrific. Um, he was a great man, like oh what a great man, you know a, a, an example of how to live a life. Like he understood the important things. So, um, community like even to the end he was involved with his bowls community he was the kind of the leader in the club and, and at his funeral he, you know throughout his whole life he'd always been in communities and being a community leader um, he knew he had fun he, he always had this thing about Ken his name was Ken Thing about Ken is he always had this amazing curiosity about life and you know you know how like kids have this curiosity it's like he never lost that curiosity and the things he was passionate about you know you could just like I always think one of the most attractive things in life is just just the ability to be passionate and ken was you know there was just this passion in the way he lived his life he was also the kind of person who um i, I always i always hope that i'm the kind of person that when you spend time with me your life is better and ken was one of those people he was one of those people who just if you got time with them, life was just better and a uh, great family man, like his, his whole family, like his daughter's are, well, obviously a married Joe, but Joe's, you know, the, this beautiful family, you know, just, you know, a great life. And it's extremely sad that we've lost him. And, and I've got to admit, my wife, Joe, it's, it's it's hard. Like, it's 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 hard. It's really, because she loved her dad and she was very close to her dad. And, and the way he went, it was, you know, he was 77, but he was a guy who you thought would live into a 100. Um, and it was kind of, you know, brain was, you know, he wasn't an unhealthy liver. So it's been tough. And the moments, you know, when you when you're grieving, you know, it's it's this kind of emotional roller coaster where where you can't see the terrain in front of you. Where you know, you might be thinking you're getting through today, okay, and then just something hits you. And so Joe's going through that right now because it's, you know, it's 2 weeks and it's going to take a lot of time for her to get to a place where I don't know, where she's processed this. But last night we went into a friend's house we caught up some friends um the Haycocks and the Taylors and um we're sitting there and we're playing some games and we' we're, we're, we're stupid we're a stupid bunch of friends we say stupid stuff we're we're about eg um and we're just having silly fun and there's this moment where Joe's just almost crying with laughter and and you know in this time which is such a tough moment in her life oh my, my, my my reminder goes off there in this tough moment in her life, that the silliness is actually a really important thing, because one of the things about grieving is you need moments of escape, and there's many ways to escape, like exercise, like communicating, like self-expression, like you know being in nature, all these healthy ways to self-express, but actually just having some silly fun is a really important thing. And as I was sitting here with my friends last night, you know, and I I value time with any of my friends in my life. Um, I just thought, wow, this is such a valuable moment in our life. And so when we think about how we're living our life is, where is the silly fun in your life? You know, in your own life as you reflect upon your own life, have you got enough of that? And if not, how do you put yourself in there? And there's probably a couple of things to think about with this, is are you going to environments that, that encourage it? Like, you know, I've talked about myself as a fitness instructor, Do you go to environments where someone's creating that silly fun for you? But also, do you allow yourself to step toward it? Because a lot of times, people, when there's opportunities just to have a bit of silly fun, they sit on the sidelines. And, you know, like, to me, one of the greatest traits you can have within yourself is the ability to just be able to laugh at yourself. And so I just think this is a really important... Important thing to think about. You know, often when we talk about having a healthy life, we do think of the obvious things, you know, good sleep, good nutrition, movement, connection, and so on. But actually, just having fun, you know, and and having a laugh, having something, being silly, being an idiot. And if you could watch that documentary, and again, I highly recommend you watch that documentary, you'll see the value of that time in your life. So, before we get into the Manchester Show, that's what I want to reinforce, first of all, is Where's the silly fun in your life? And if you're nailing it, keep it up and put those people around you. And if you're not, how do you bring it back into your life? How do you go to environments? How do you be this person who moves towards it? Because I guarantee when you do, you'll feel your life's in a much better place. Now, I want to say a big thank you to all the patrons of the show. So, patrons of the show, basically what a patron is, is someone who basically just donates a little bit of their hard-earned money my way each time I release an episode of the show. And it really helps, actually. I've got to be honest. It really helps because it just, A, it supports me financially. B, it actually means a lot that people would actually do that for me. And C, you know, it pays helps, it basically pays for all the costs of the show. So... Uh, If you want to become a patron, you go to my website, bevanjamesis.com, you click on podcast, click on support me, it takes you to Patreon, and Patreon's this website that basically looks after your patrons for you, you donate as little, as much as you want each episode, and that's all that happens, each time I release an episode, you donate a little bit of your hard-earned money my way, so, and when you become a patron, you get a cool nickname, and these are some of the people who are patrons, Uh, Brittany, the Mystic, we've got Greg, the Python Crowley, we've got Luke Mayhem Miller, we've got Poop, the silent assassin Langford, we've got Kate, the perfect one, uh, Southern and Robbie, Big Shot Allen. So if you want to become a patron of the show and you enjoy what I do, please just go through that process. Anyway, uh, let's get into the main gist of this show. So as I was saying earlier, my new book is coming out in June, Pretty excited about it. it it's it, the the text is all done now. We're, we're working on the cover. Covers are hard. I tell you, covers are really hard to get. Uh, the book is called. Wait a second. What have I actually called the book? I've called the book at this stage. It's not set in stone. But uh, let me pull it up here. Uh, the book is called "I Will Make You Passionate About Exercise: How to Go from Being Unmotivated, Unfit, and Lost to Having Energy, Being Fit and Healthy, and Loving Exercise." Now. In this book, this book is designed for somebody who's not exercising and I go through 10, the, basically the way I've done the book is that there's 10 steps and each step is uh, starts off with a story that's leading to a lesson and then there's kind of a baby step. And a baby step is the key, the key lesson from that story or for that step. And then what I do is there's kind of 10 challenges you need to achieve. And the challenges start very basic and they're kind of growing you towards a place where you're going to love exercise forever. And once I introduce the challenge then I give you... The rules for the challenge, are the strategies, mindsets, and a bit of a workbook plan for it. So you can actually kind of, I want this book to be a book that, you know, you actually, it's almost like a textbook that you kind of, you read, you learn the lessons, and then you go through the experience. Once you choose the first challenge, you move on to the next challenge. Now later on, and one in some of the later challenges, one of the last challenges or the last baby steps is they're all around you taking ownership of your fitness identity. And what I mean by this is that, Uh, There's a lot, you know, what I ultimately are trying to get people to, in this book, is a place where they see themselves 100% within themselves as a person who loves exercise. As a person who, you know, I just, like for me, I'm an exerciser. Like today, And two hours from now, I'm going to go to the gym and go do a workout because I'm an exerciser. And when I'm an exerciser, there's behaviors and actions and identity that sits on top of that. And as people work through the journey of this book, when they get to that stage, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to make sure they put a stamp on the fact they are an exerciser. And there's a few concepts and ideas that I kind of put through at this stage of their journey because I really want them to send me there. Because basically, why is that important? Well, because when you have an identity in something, when you're not doing it, you feel dissonance. So, for example, if I missed three days of exercise, which I don't think I've done in over 25 years, but if I were... I would feel something's wrong, and that's a good thing to have in my life because it means I don't miss exercise, and I use it as a cue to say, actually, Beth, you need to get back to exercise. So that's what I'm trying to get people to, and again, I use lots of concepts and strategies and rules and all this to help people deepen that connection as they're moving through this journey. And one of the concepts I talk about in the book, and I'm pretty sure I've probably talked about this on a podcast, but I want to go deeper into one aspect of it today. So one of the concepts I talked about in this book is the four types of exercises. Uh, So let's talk about the four types of exercises. To me, there's four types of exercises, like all kinds of models. I'm sure we could argue there's more than four, but this is a basic way of putting it. The first one is the person who's just not exercising at all. Uh, This is the person who has fallen away from exercise or hasn't had exercise in their life for a long time, um, probably unfit, probably think they don't like exercise, maybe have tried but they had a really un- unpleasant experience with it so it reinforces that they can't do it and really doesn't even have exercise in their life. Now unfortunately there is a lot of people and I'm going to be honest this book That's my main target market. You know, that's that's the market I really want to help. These are the people I want to get from, you know, to a place where they are loving exercise in their life, not just, you know, having a moment of exercise. And that's the real key with my book is I don't I don't want to be a moment of exercise. I want it to be a lifetime love that basically means that for the rest of your life you're gonna have exercise in it. So that's that's the first type of exerciser. And then we have what I call the yo-yo exerciser. And this is the person who sometimes has it in their life and sometimes doesn't, you know, and, and, you know, it's that kind of, they might have a moment where they do a 12-week challenge, and they do really well in that period, and they love it, and it it goes really well, and then after 12 weeks, they fall back to not exercising, and and maybe for the next nine months or next year or so, that doesn't happen, and then, you know, then they get back into it again, and, you know, and then they change their job, and, you know, their situation changes, and so on, and so on. Many people are in this position, and when I talk to people in general about this model that I talk about, uh, a lot of people will say, oh, you're talking about me there. And so the yo-yo person is that person who sometimes has it and sometimes doesn't have it. And these person people often have similar kind of results to those who don't exercise. You know, that, you know, there's a cost to their health and fitness because they aren't exercising consistently and regularly in their life. So they kind of have these peaks and valleys. The peaks where they actually do lose some weight, feel energetic, get all the benefits of exercise. But then... They fall away from it. And unfortunately for these people, the sad thing is is that uh, it's, it's often a really beat up stage because they kind of, kind of know that sometimes they can get there and sometimes they can't. So they kind of self-identify in a place which isn't that healthy for themselves. Now I've got to admit, the book's also pretty much for these people as well. So the target market of I Will Make You Passionate about exercise is non exercisers and yo-yo people. The third type of person within the model is the habit exerciser now when i talk about the habit exerciser, i can it can sometimes sound a little bit negative and it's I, I really don't mean it in any negative way but the habit exerciser is the person who has a habit of exercise in their life but often aren't creating a huge amount of change now i've worked in fitness for over 20 geez 23 24 23 years i think it's a long time I've worked in fitness. And we see a lot of these people. And these people are people who come to the gym four times a week, um, you know, three times a week, whatever it is. They do their workouts. And you know what? I'm not, I'm not going to crap on these people. If, if that's the standard you're at, that's that's good enough. you know. But unfortunately, one of the downfalls of these people is they often don't get any change. Uh, They often get stuck in a routine. They might do the same classes week in, week out, forever. Um, They they might do the same workout within the weights room over and over again. Uh, The intensity they have within the workout is maybe not that next level. It's not to say they don't work hard, because I know that a lot of people who are regular exercises in my classes. They work hard. Um, But maybe it's just not that place where it's a bit scary, if you know what I mean. Um, So the habit exerciser is, you know what, at a minimal is where I want people to get—that place where you've got a good, healthy routine where health and fitness is a part of your life. And that, that to me is kind of like—I remember when I was younger, we had—I I had a coach in volleyball, and he said there's a thing called a must serve. And a must serve is when you're playing a big game, there's a serve where you must get the ball inside the other team's section of the court and because you know at a minimum that's what you've got to do now you can do a more aggressive serve and try to be aggressive and attack it but you must get that ball in and to me that's kind of the the habit exerciser is the must serve of exercise at a minimal we want you to be at the habit but the fourth level is the thriver This is the person who is getting the absolute maximum out of exercise. This is the person who is that word thriving. They they are growing the stretch, but the stretch in a way that's really empowering. It's that place where you you know when you're growing in life and you're growing in really powerful ways, and what happens is you see possibility in other areas of your life. And that's that's what this is. That's that place. Is that place where you're thriving, and you see possibility. You, you you see you see results. You know you see yourself getting better. Uh, you overcome. You you build character. Um, you you learn. You know that. You know what I mean. It's just that place where it's just everything's the, the best of the exercise. Now, I'll be honest. Not many people. and Probably no one really stays in thriving all the time. No one really stays in thriving all the time. What most people who are exercisers will do, or a lot of people who get to thriving, is they'll have habit and thriving. So, you know, again, at a minimum, habit's what we want. But also what we want is experience of thriving. And it might be that within a year, you know, it might be that you have you know if you are a regular exercise where do you sit within the scale but you know there'll be a percentage of habit and percentage of thriving and and ideally we want probably the percentage to be more tilted towards the thriving part of exercise and you know and there will be periods of habit so it might be like we you know i might be training for a big hard running race and it's taking me to a place where i'm thriving and then for a couple months after that i might just go back to the habit of exercise but then what i want to do is i want to reassess and then bring another period of thriving back in And that's what we're trying to think about here so that's the model the model is not exercising the yo-yo the habit and the thriver and what i'm talking about is how do we get more people to the thriving and how do you spend more time in thriving in the period of a year of exercise and again i don't think anyone's gonna spend a whole year thriving all the time so if we think of percentage of habit and thriving what creates the conditions where you're spending more time in your thriving place and today, I want to in today's show, what I want to do is just to think about what are the conditions that create a thriving environment for somebody with exercise. So I've written down some, some just words that I'm going to talk about here. So the first thing I think is they've got to find a movement. And I think this is really important. I, I think you could find a movement that you enjoy. I think... You know, when we we think about uh, other aspects that create a thriving environment, there are many aspects. But finding a movement that you enjoy is really, really important. Movement is such a natural human thing. And some movements you're not going to like. You know, some movements just aren't going to do it for people. At the same time, some movements you're going to fall in love with. Um, And so... When we think about the person who's thriving is they've often found a movement that their physical self really connects with. You know, you think of top sports stars, and I think of Richie McCaw, who's, you know, arguably the greatest rugby player of all time. And he talks about that, that the moment he's looking for is that moment of just true expression through rugby. Now, you wouldn't think of rugby as an expressive movement, would you? You know, you, you know you'd know, you think, well, expressive dance is a way of doing expressive movement, but of course it is. You know, you're expressing emotion when you're playing rugby, you know, and that's what we're looking for is what kind of movement do you love doing? Like, for example, I'll admit right now I'm spending a bit more time in the weights room because I'm just, you know, post my operation, I want to spend a good period of time getting stronger. You know, for the last four months I've been... I haven't missed a session, I've, you know, I've, I've really nailed getting into the weights room. Um, I don't love it, it's not a movement I absolutely love. I think it's really important right now, um, and I'm, I'm creating conditions where I'm enjoying it a lot more. Um, I don't think I've created the environment where I love it a lot yet, and I think there would be some steps that I need to do to create that, whereas for me to get out and run in nature, that's a movement I am just aligned to. You know, like, for me to go for a run in a trail, OMG, that's that's me. You know, like I I know, I was speaking to one of my runners yesterday actually and she comes and does a running group, but she also does Zumba each week and she said she just loves, you know, being able to dance and and do Zumba when she's doing her, her Zumba classes. So I think one of the first things we've got to think about in creating thriving through exercise is to find a movement that you feel connected to. The second thing is, is... There's got to be an environment involved with it. There's got to be a community, an environment, a, a, a coaches. You know, like, there's got to be... It's not that you can't get to thriving by yourself. But when we think about the easiest way to get to thriving... Like, I think of there's a, there's an athlete called Bevan Doherty. Bevan Doherty was, you know, one of the great triathletes of all time. He won two Olympic medals. Uh, I think he won a world championship in his time. And, and Bevan Doherty was tough. Oh, this guy was tough. Like, you know, like, I often think, you know, when you look at athletes, some people just have natural ability and um, and some people are tough. And, you know, you think if, if you're going to go, go into war with somebody, who would you want standing beside you, the guy of natural ability or the tough guy? And, you know, if I'm going to a fight, I want Bevan Doherty on my side. And there's a great YouTube clip of Bevan Doherty at the New Plymouth Triathlon, you know, coming into the finishing shoot, like 500 meters to go. And he's like well back on the guy who's winning. And he puts the foot down. The guy, the guy who's winning, he looks behind the him coming in the sprints, and Bevan just it's just, just hurt. You know, he's just hurting to get this win, and he wants it so much, and he's so tough. And he gets it. Now, now with Bevan Doherty, his a one thing about Bevan Doherty, and I got to talk to Bevan a few times through podcasts, and one of John and my other podcasts is good friends of his. So I've spoken to Bevan to a few times over the years, and Bevan always trained by himself. Like he he never trained and environments and and that shows the character of the guy because I've got to be honest I when I'm in an environment I get better out of myself when I was doing Man, if I went for a bike ride with a group of people I trained harder than I could ever train by myself and it's not that I can't train hard by myself but you put me around other people a bit of competitive edge in there you know people driving you forward I went to places I couldn't go to by myself and it's like with my running business that's why I've created a team training environment because I just believe that you can do it by yourself now Bevan Doherty He could do it by himself. Now, some people can do that, but when we think of percentage chance of success, getting to an environment where your movement is in a thriving, you know, where it's pushing you along, and it's interesting. I talk about how with my weights, I haven't quite got there yet, and I think one of my next steps in the next few months will be I need to go into an environment where weights training is a group training environment. I admit um, there's some environments in my local area which are like that where you're basically going in with there's going to be 20 people kind of doing a weights workout. It's group training, but it's an a weight workout. Now, I think that will be my next move over the next period of time because I know that that environment will take me to a place where I'm going to push myself harder than I can by myself in the weights room. So, when we think about thriving of exercise, you've got to go to an environment or at least the best chance of thriving is go to an environment that creates that for you, that draws that out of you. Now, it it, it might be group fitness classes, it might be just other people to train with. You know, you might have, you know, let's say you like running, it might be just finding a few people of similar ability to run with. Now, when we think about the environment, it's really important we think about it's an environment that's that's designed to help people thrive. You know, this environment that does have expectations to bring the best out of you. It's an environment that's asking you to grow. It's an environment that, you know, where the leaders have the ability to help you grow. I think that's really important. You know, but to me, one of the easiest ways to thrive is to to look for an environment that will help you thrive. And I'll be honest, that's what I was kind of saying before, wasn't it? Like With my weights room, I'm having a bit of a solo experience. I have got a training partner one day a week. Um, but I know that once I go to the environment, which will probably happen in the next few months... That's where my weights training will go to the next level. So that's something to think about. The next thing is, you need a challenging growth journey. And this is really important. call it a goal. You need a challenging goal. And when we think about a challenging goal, the challenging goal needs to be stimulating for you. You know, And when we think about thriving, we're trying to find this stimulus that is... It's, this is really important. You've got to find a stimulus that is so appealing to you. You know, like I remember when I when I did my first marathon, and I did my first marathon. I think I ran two forty eight. You know, and I was just this fitness guy. i never ran a marathon in my life. I turned up to this marathon to two forty eight, um, which is you know a, a pretty good time for you know. I think I've probably got twentieth in the marathon or in the top. I don't know, maybe fifty in the marathon. You know, it was a pretty good time for a guy who just turns up and does this marathon. But I wasn't challenged by it. And I remember someone said to me, Oh, I mean my fizzy at the time said to me, Oh, you want to be challenged, mate? You gotta do an Iron Man. And he talked about and, and my fizzy at the time was this guy and he spoke passionately about, oh guys who do Iron Man are tough. So like the ultimate challenge. And that that was a spark, you know? And and that's what you're gonna look for when you find about your, your stimulus, the, the goal. The goal needs to be a goal that it's that kind of like if I become this person, like if I become an Iron Man. Imagine, or if if I could become a a grade three dancer, or if I could become whatever it is for you, you know, know, think about the movement, think about the environment, and then think about that thing of if I, I, you know, that, that spark that you ultimately want to come towards. Now, one thing when we think about stimulus, it also needs to be a stimulus that can happen for where you are in your journey. So it does need to be a little bit realistic because, unfortunately, what a lot of people do when they try to find a stimulus for a goal sometimes this ain't too high and the pathway from day one is a failing pathway so sometimes when we think about stimulus it might be like let's say you'd love to run a marathon and that would be the ultimate goal but you're currently not running right now well the stimulus kind of journey might be I want to run a marathon two years from now and within that there's some stepping stone goals along the way so you still got that stimulus and it might be I'm going to in two years I'm going to do the New York marathon now that's it that's that's one of those goals You know, New York or the London or the Berlin, those big city marathons. Or, or, you know, I I obviously talk about running a lot, but all movements have their thing. You know, do the CrossFit Games. um, You know, and and with with thriving environments, you do want to find a movement that has those landmark goals or those landmark things to achieve. And in my book, you know, because I'm trying to obviously take someone through a fitness journey and I am trying to get them first, find their first fitness goal and when i help them find their movement i say we want you to find a movement that has landmark goals in it like for example a pump class i teach pump i think it's a great workout i think it's a really good habit workout but there's no long-term goal to achieve with it it's not like you're going to do the pump games and so you know when we think about the, the movement it wants to have a movement that has some kind of grading or goal or something like that you know think of fighting sports you know the idea to say that you're a black belt like how cool is that so then you know finding the right challenge and the right stimulus is really important because that's going to create that spark and that desire that sits within you the next thing is is your ability to be able to prioritize this in your life and this is a really important thing now now often if you can put the conditions in place so if you can find the right movement the right environment the right goal the prioritisation becomes a much easier thing to put in place. But when we get to thriving, you know, it does come, you know, it kind of becomes a bit easier prioritisation, but if you can get to that thriving place, it becomes a thing you want to be doing anyway. But I just think it's really important that when we think about it is, is how do I plan it into my life? And and I kind of think, I'm, I'm kind of flipping this one on its head because when we think about prioritisation, if, if we get the right thriving environment in place, you actually want to be in that place, and actually, interestingly, I'm training a guy to do an Ironman right now, and this guy is—he's like the easiest guy to train in the world because whatever I write up, he's going to do. You know, and as a coach, that those athletes are just easy because uh, you know you're not trying to motivate them to do the work; they just do it. And this this guy is—he's just doing it, and and he's in the thriving place. He's, he's loving it. But one of the things we're trying to make sure he manages is his life outside of thriving because his wife's a bit over it and fair enough because he's been doing a lot of training and he's in this you know he's basically doing an Ironman about six weeks from now so he's in that stupidly peak training where it's very life-consuming uh, there's a cost you know and so his wife's probably going well, what's all this cost you know so there's this there's this there's this cost to this thriving place now when I talk about prioritization if you find a thriving place you tend to want to be there anyway so it's not the prioritization of the exercise it's Prioritisation of life outside of the exercise. And so one thing I've been talking about with this client is, okay, well, you need to be putting credits into your family bank. You need to be looking after your wife. You know, when you're having a rest day, you've got to make sure you spend time with the kids and family, you know, like, because this is really important. Like, while thriving goals are important, we do not want to damage the rest of our life. And so when we talk about prioritisation, we think about prioritisation of the thriving goal, but of the management of your whole life when you're achieving this goal. Because unfortunately, and I saw this a lot when I was doing Ironman, a lot of people who get to thriving place with movement actually end up damaging other areas of their life. I remember I did these training camps, epic camps, and you know it was basically 20 high-end athletes and all of us were single or divorced. Like seriously, because in thriving with exercise, we just hurt the rest of our life. So I think that's a really important thing to think about. The other area to think about is your mental strategies. When we think about thriving with exercise, you're going to go to, you know, really, because what why are you thriving? Well, because often when you're thriving, you're growing. And where does growth come from? Well, growth comes from being stretched. And doesn't it? You know, when you think about when you've developed yourself and you've grown in your life, it's because you've been stretched and challenged in really massive ways. And that's, that's the reward of, you know, growth, is growth is, I'm getting better. Growth is, I can do things I haven't been able to do in the past. Growth is, I'm a higher version of myself. But the only way you get there, the other side of that, those rewards, is if you move through moments of being uncomfortable. Uncomfortable in your skill development, uncomfortable in intensity, uncomfortable, you know, in all of these different areas. So when you think about times of thriving, one thing you've got to become great at is developing mental strategies. Uh, Visualisation, uh, preloading prep, um, you know, creating environments that push you, you know, all the strategies that I've talked about on the show over the years that you've learned within yourself is you need to learn how to face tough moments. You need to learn how to thrive in the moments where you're going to be stretched. And also you need to learn how to turn up to those moments. You know, so for example, you need to know how to turn up mentally to actually have to take on those moments, not talk yourself out of those moments. And so when you think about, thriving periods one of the biggest skills you need to develop within yourself is the ability to i call it hitting objectives actually talking about my the guy i'm training for an IM right now he, he's the perfect athlete to train because he doesn't just do you know like this this as a when you get a program for like an endurance sport You know, there's there's kind of levels you can achieve. So it might be the amount of training you were meant to do this week. So let's say, you know, you've got a running program for a marathon and you're meant to run five times a week. Now, for some people, the struggle is to hit that. So, you know, they struggle to do five sessions. They might do three one week, five the next week, two the next week. So the inconsistency of just doing the base, you know, which is just a five. But within a program, so that's that's often the first thing. So the first thing is how do you get people to just be consistent of the, of, of turning up and doing all the sessions I are meant to do? But the second thing is, is the objective of the sessions. Now, in a good marathon program, you're going to have some sessions which are easy running. You know, just get out the door, go for a run, keep it easy, turn your legs over. But then you're going to have other sessions that have different objectives. You might have... Um, a high intensity session you might have a tempo session you might have a strength session you might have an endurance session you might have some race pace work so as a coach when i'm designing a program i'm designing a program trying to hit different objectives around the physiology or, or you know what you need for your physical to be able to achieve the outcome we desire at the end of it and so a lot of people will maybe do the five sessions a week but they don't hit the objectives So I might have, they do a track session where they do some really hard, high intensity training in it. But they just go along and just do an easy run. So for a lot of people, that's one of the things they don't do well. Then when you get to the high level athlete, and the guy I'm doing the Ironman for right now, I think this is what he's doing, is that he has the ability to, within a week, with all the sessions that I put together, some of them easy, some of them mid-range, and some of them extremely tough, he has the ability to turn up and hit those objectives each time. Now... This is when you're in a thriving environment. When you're in a thriving environment, you're developing your ability to step up when you need to step up. Now, this is what creates the thrive. This is what creates the reward. Because when you come, when you finish those sessions, you know what it's like when you've done a, a hard training session and you've been scared of the training session, but you actually turn up and you nail it. How do you feel? And that's, that's that's what this is about, is that the ability to actually turn up with the right attitude and actually hit the objectives or try your best. And actually, interesting, going back to the guy I'm talking about, the Ironman, you know, I've, I've in the last couple of weeks, I've given a cycle session, which is basically him at max. And he can't quite 100% nail the session. He's trying. The, like, the effort is 100%. He's getting about 90% of it. Now, as a coach, I'm stoked with that because that means he's going to the place. If he was getting 40, 30% of it, I've, I've designed it too hard. But if he's getting 90, and I know when even when he's not quite getting that last 10%, his effort's 100%, that's great. He's, he's nailing it. And that's what this is all about, is your ability to turn up in the right mindset to be able to face a challenge, and then when you're in the challenge, the ability to actually stay at the level that helps you get everything out of it. And I've got to be honest, That is a skill that is extremely hard to develop. But when you're thriving, that's a skill that you have. And so one of the other conditions is is developing your mental plan and skills, which creates the environment that you're in. Probably another area which I haven't written down on my list here is the ability to recap and learn. I think one of the biggest lessons that we all take from life is after experiences to recap and learn and and, and it's actually interesting i'm thinking about maybe doing a podcast on this is this idea of spending more time in your day recapping and learning and it's almost like you know like i talk about my objectives you know in the morning i write down my objectives for the day and i plan out my day and it's all this kind of what are the key things for the day and so on and so on well one thing one thing i want to i want to start adding to my day is at the end of each moment is doing a quick recap on what i've done well and what i can learn from the last experience like when i do a running race i do it when i have when i play live in my band i do it like i do it in big key moments but what if i did it like what if after every two hours because what i tend to do in my day is i tend to plan a two-hour block of work um and then I, at the beginning of it, i write down the objective for the next two hours and then i stop and i do the next thing but what if i spend a couple of minutes okay well what do i learn from that you know Surely, that's pretty powerful. And in a thriving environment, that would be something you could do. So, like, imagine if after every session, as you're driving home or you're having a shower, you just kind of sit back and you go, what did I learn from that session? Where are the objectives within that session? You know, and and you did that often. That's, again, that's going to create the thriving environment. Now... There's probably more things that I can add to this, but, I, you know, again, I just kind of did a quick kind of think through this before I started writing this podcast. But as you can see, if you do you think to yourself that if you had found a movement you loved, found an environment that really creates a thriving, you know, growth of you within that environment, oh, probably the last one is, is get a mentor. Actually, that's really important. I haven't said that. You need a mentor. You need a coach. You need a mentor. You need you need mentors. People, You need people to guide you. That's, that's to be honest... I probably should have put a bigger emphasis on this. This is huge. If you're not investing in mentors, you're not taking the, the wisest way forward. Seriously, you're not. Mentors or coaches or, even, or however I'll call it mentors, so, so important. People who thrive use mentors. You watch a game of tennis. What's, a, what's always on? You watch a game of pro tennis. What's always at a game of pro tennis? The coach watching the game. You know, mentors are key to your growth. So just as well. But imagine if you found the right movement, you found an environment with great mentors that brought more out of this than what you can bring by yourself. You found a, a challenge that created that spark in you that was like, man, imagine if I could be that person. If you learn to prioritize in your life, but also to look after the rest of your life while you're doing it. If you develop your mental planning around turning up, turning up with the right attitude and actually living and killing the moment when you're in it. And then you did a great recap every time. Do you think you'd be thriving with exercise? And to me, that's what we're looking for here. Is I I, I I want as little people in this world to be in the level one, which is not exercising. I want as little people in the world to be in level two, which is the yo-yo person. I want, at a minimum, everyone in the world in the habit place. But what I want everyone to experience is that thriving place with exercise. That thriving place with exercise, that place where you are just. Growing in in mightily powerful ways, and that's what this is all about. So, just to recap, if you are an exerciser and you know you haven't really got results in a while, and you know that you're just kind of in that habit place, and I'm not going to beat you up. Hey, high five! I'd rather you do that than be the yo-yo or not exercise at all. But if you are in that place, maybe it's time you spent some time doing some work around this. And I really mean it. You need to do some work. Like this isn't just something yo-yo do it. It's a plan. You know, that's that's what we want to think about. So, again, what do you want to think? Right movement, environment with great mentors, finding a challenge that gives you that spark, prioritizing it within your life and managing your life around it, learning the mental journey of it, um, and then going into it. And then probably the last thing to say on top of this is as you go through this journey of being in the thriving place, is when, when you finish that journey, have a moment in the habit, and actually be really aware of not falling away from habit because unfortunately what happens, and I know I'm going to talk about this a little bit because it's really important. Unfortunately what happens is a lot of people is after they hit that moment of the big goal, they actually just fall completely away from exercise. So you'll see it a lot, you know, someone will achieve like a marathon, a half marathon, a 5k run, whatever. They'll achieve this big goal and then they just stop exercising and a lot of people I talk to we are getting to get up to five, they say, Yeah, I did this big goal and then just life fell away. And so after a big goal moment, you always want to go, just go to habit for now. So let's say you run your first marathon and, you know, it's a very consuming thing to do and, and you can't maintain that much training forever. So you kind of go, You know, I need some downtime. Well, your downtime's not stopping, your downtime's going to the habit. So instead of running five times a week where you're doing your long run of up to three hours, you're going to a place where you're doing, you know, Three, four easy runs a week. The habit level. And then after you got to the habit level for a while, then you want to find, okay, now it's time to get back to thriving. Ideally, what we want to do is within a year, spend more time in your thriving. If you can create the conditions that I've talked about today, then you'll spend more time thriving with exercise, which means you're going to grow in ways that you just can't even comprehend. And that's what this is all about. So again, If you want to be a higher level version of yourself, take on the concepts I've given you today, spend some time doing the work and you'll be thriving with exercise and you'll you'll develop possibility that you can't even see right now. All right, team, so that's today's show done and dusted. I'll have another Bevan James Oz episode up for you really soon. One thing I want you to prepare for, I'm going to need help for my book. Now, I'm developing a marketing plan. I'm going to spend some money on it, try to get the word out there. But but I need help, and I'm going to need your help. I'm going to need your help. You know what? I want, If I can ask you, if you've listened to my show and you get value from my show, one thing I'm going to ask from you is when my book comes out is that you help me spread the word. Like I often say in this podcast, you know, spread the word. And I know most people don't. I get it. You know, most people kind of, you know, like it's, you think, even if you think you do, not many people actually do. I get it. I, you know, I'm probably the same with other podcasts. But with this book, I believe I've created something that can really help people. I really do. Like seriously, I, I, my passion is to get people moving. My passion is to get, I, your life is better if you're moving. And so, um, I'm going to do everything I can to get as many people moving through this book and this journey, um, but I'm going to need your help. And so around June, I'm going to ask, can you, can you do something for me? And it might be go to a website, grab the link, and send it to somebody you know. It might be to social media. And if, if you've ever got value from anything I do, um, please help me. Please. And, and again, you don't need to do anything right now. Although, if you want to spread the word about this podcast, by all means, do it. If you if you want to put a review on a podcatcher, by all means, do it. But the most important thing is is that come June, when I when I put this book out there, I, I would really love if you could help me spread the word because uh, this is a good audience I've got here, and it's it's really great. You know, I, people seem to really love what I do here, and um, and I really appreciate the feedback and how people enjoy this. Um, but I want to help as many people as possible. And, and you know, there will be a snowball effect. It will be a few people at first, and then, you know, because my idea is basically every book I sell, I put all the money back into getting more people to buy the book. Like, I'm not, I'm not, no, I'm, this isn't a money making revenue for me. Like, if I sell a book, I'll probably make, I don't know, I'll probably make $10 profit on a book. If I make $10 profit on a book, that's going back to buying more ads to get more people to buy the book. I'm, I'm not trying to make money. Like, I've got my job, I've got my business, I'll make money from that, I, I, I want to get the word out there to get as many people moving as possible, and I think I've got the formula right with this book, so I'm going to ask you later on this year, hopefully around June, can you help me spread the word, and, and if you're listening right now, when it comes to that moment, it might take 20 minutes of your time to do it, please, please do it. Anyway, if you do enjoy the show, you want to become a patron of the show, go to bevanjamesisles.com. That'd be really cool. Other than that, that's pretty much me done and dusted for today. Um, I'll be back in a couple weeks' time. I've got to, I'll get an interview lined up for you guys. Um, yeah, have a wonderful, self, wonderful couple weeks. And as always, keep being you.